0: jason
1: i already know where this is leading
0: where is it gonna lead
1: may the fourth be with you
0: well obviously i just said that (laughs) it's not leading anywhere that's already been done
1: you said happy may 4th and i said may the fourth i said happy
0: may the fourth
1: oh yes 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 so wait is this episode gonna all be about star wars it is oh yeah
0: i'm really excited about this because when I saw that this episode was coming out on May 4th, I thought, okay, well, it's National Star Wars Day, May the 4th. And then I realized, actually, we've talked about Star Wars a few times. And we will link to those other episodes, if you're curious, in the show notes for this episode at wellevator.com. If you didn't know this already, dear listener, we have show notes, which means that we have the transcripts, We have photos. There are links. There are sometimes bonus content like videos. There's all sorts of goodies for you, plus free resources, all different ways that we can support you on our website, wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. There's a podcast section of our website. And for this episode, we will link to the previous episodes where we talked about Star Wars if you would like to hear us at It's really been a dabbling. This is the first episode that'll be entirely about Star Wars. And if you're not a Star Wars fan, I encourage you to keep listening because this is going to be different than you may think. Get it, May?
1: That was good. There's a lot of double entendres (laughs) already. We're not even two minutes in. I did it on purpose. (laughs) So many double entendres.
0: (laughs) I think there's different levels. There's people that absolutely love Star Wars. They're fanatics. There are people that really like it. I would say Jason falls in that category. I wouldn't call you a fanatic, Jason, because you're not somebody that gets into the cosplay. You don't like sit around all day playing Star Wars video games or trivia or going on websites and geeking out about it. You do really like Star Wars. And that's something that's come up in the other episode. We've talked about Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey a bunch of times. So again, those are the episodes that are are worth listening. Today, we wanted to give you something different. Well, I wanted to give you something different. Jason doesn't know what I'm going to talk about, but I was actually amazed at what I found when I was researching this because I wanted to do something or at least just acknowledge the day. We like to acknowledge a lot of the timely subject matters. So if you haven't listened before, we often reference all sorts of different national days and whatnot and try to tie it into... Our subject matters that we're passionate about, which is health, well-being, and um, I wasn't quite sure where to go with this. And then I stumbled upon something thanks to a web search that I did. Before we get into that, I just wanted to give a little bit of history on this day, in case you're unfamiliar, in case you're not already a Star Wars fan, and and May Fourth is just some usual day, normal day for you. Star Wars didn't actually come up with this day, though. I I didn't learn about that. Or maybe they did, but in in a kind of roundabout way, Jason, I'm not sure if you knew the history. But in 1979, Britain elected the first female prime minister, Margaret Thatcher. And on May 4th, that was the day she took office, they put an advertisement in the London Evening News, which read, May the 4th be with you, Maggie.
1: I did not know that and that is absolutely fascinating.
0: It is interesting and then over the years people started to use that term. Now there's hashtags for it and each year people will celebrate the day by watching the movies. There's so much Star Wars content out there. There's the original 3 episodes, there's the prequels, there's the sequels, there's the spin-offs like The Mandalorian and and a bunch of other movies and shows that I've never even watched. There are video games... I mean, there's just so much in the Star Wars universe. So people will watch that, play the games. They will um, make recipes, do cosplay. There's a lot of really interesting content out there and ways to celebrate in some years. It wouldn't happen this year in 2020 because most people are in quarantine. But some years, people would actually get out lightsabers and have lightsaber parties at night, which is kind of cool. I always... Was surprised Jason didn't partake in that. And then speaking of recipes, one thing that we'll link to in the show notes is our friend Roxy, off the top of my head, she's the first person I think of in terms of recipes. She made, she makes vegan recipes on YouTube, amongst other things. And she's she's into things like Star Wars. And I remember she made cookies based in uh, the... What are they called? Those really cute creatures from the sequels, Jason.
1: The porgs. From
0: episode. Porgs, thank you. I don't know why I blank on them, because those are probably my favorite Star Wars creatures of all time.
1: Yes, and in, in also because that's a subtle third-tier nickname for my cat, Julius.
0: Exactly. That's all I could think of. I All I could think of was the sound <laughs> that we like to use. I'm like, well, they're not called eep-eeps. They are called...
1: <laughs> May I imitate for a second? Sure. Yeah, it's kind of like... K-reep, k-reep, which that's sounds true. very much like a sound my cat, Julius, makes.
0: Yep. That's the sound that the Porgs make. If you have not seen the recent Star Wars movies, because you're not a fan, I actually really recommend it. Was it the second batch of those three, Jason, where the Porgs?
1: Yes, it was The Last Jedi. It was the second in the most recent trilogy.
0: And then they made a very brief appearance, no spoiler, but they do show up in the third episode of that trilogy. What was that one called?
1: That's uh, The Rise of Skywalker. That was the one that came out this past December 2019.
0: I was so happy that the Porgs came back because I just love them so much. They're incredibly adorable. Maybe not quite as adorable as Baby Yoda, who has taken the internet by storm. I'm kind of surprised that the Porgs didn't make a bigger splash, but Baby Yoda is like a really big deal. And he came from The Mandalorian, which I have still not watched. Maybe I'll watch it for May 4th. That could be good.
1: I think I recommend binge watching it because it is very much like... uh, Yeah, yeah. Because the episodes are short and... It feels like a spaghetti western, like a old Hollywood western meets Star Wars, and it has a lot of the flavor of the original trilogy, which I like. So it's an interesting mashup of like backstory of characters that were never covered in the movies meets spaghetti western, which I was never a huge fan of the western genre anyway.
0: Me neither. When I hear that, I'm like, eh, I don't want to watch. No, it.
1: but it's done in such a cool mashup way. It's almost as if you hear two different bands that will do a show together. And just a random tangential example, and then we'll get back to Roxy and her recipe. But a couple of years ago, this was before I went to South, uh, South by Southwest in Austin. They specialize kind of in weird mashups there sometimes. And for anyone who's a big music fan, uh, there was an alternative rock band in the 90s called the Afghan Wigs. And Usher came and did a set with them, which was like an okay, alternative 90s rock band. Did you see that? I didn't see it live because it was a few years before I went to South by. But I saw footage of it, and it's you would think how would a how would a like hardcore '90s alternative rock band and Usher be a mashup that works? And it was bad ass.
0: We're gonna have to link to that in the show notes because I want to see it. And Usher is also like a big part of our inside jokes, and uh, I really hope one day we get to meet Usher. Maybe even have him on the podcast. I'm gonna just put that out there as a Star Wars-related tangential wish that I have here. Well, I actually didn't mean to get into depth on Roxy's recipes, but we do like to give shout-outs to our friends. And uh, I just remember how incredibly cute her Porg recipe was. So we will link to that as well. And today, I want to talk about something. But before I introduce that, I just found this nice definition of the Force which I thought was worth sharing. It's actually on Star Wars website, which we'll link to as well. They have a Star Wars Day website on there with a lot of interesting information. And here is how they define the Force. The Force is a mysterious energy field created by life that binds the galaxy together. Harnessing the power of the Force gives the Jedi, the Sith, and others sensitive to the spiritual energy extraordinary abilities, such as levitating objects, tricking minds, and seeing things before they happen. When the force can grant users powerful abilities, it also directs their actions. And it has a will of its own, which both scholars and mystics have spent millennia seeking to understand.
1: That's very juicy. I like that definition a lot, actually.
0: Me too. <laughs> I mean, it is the official definition according to the
1: Star Wars Yeah, but it kind of gave me chills when you were reading it. It was a little <laughs> bit like that pinprick on the back of your neck where your hair stand up. It was like, oh, I'm feeling that. I'm feeling good, that. Huh? Oh, yeah, that's fantastic.
0: And this is the thing. I w- never really felt that into Star Wars until I watched the new trilogy, which I really, really liked a lot. I saw all three in the theater with Jason on opening day, right? All three of them we saw on Every opening day. Every single one, yes. Yeah. And it was so much fun. So, you know, just like any any movie or series, it's fun to get into something that other people are into and just experience the magic of it. I think this is why people like Star Wars in general, but but Disney, which owns Star Wars, you know, there's that energy of going to Disney World. and You can look at all of the downsides and the cons of Disney, but the pros outweigh it because of all the magic, and that's probably why—or maybe not—the main reason. But one of the reasons that Disney acquired Star Wars is it's not just about the finances; it's because Star Wars is very magical, and I think it really fits into the Disney universe because it's—it's about feeling that energy and, and getting lit up by something, and. I actually really want to go experience the Star Wars elements of of Disneyland, which will be fascinating. I don't know if it's going to get even busier after quarantine, or maybe it'll be a good time to go right after quarantine officially ends in California. Because previous to that, I would see on TikTok all of these videos of people going to Disneyland and trying to get in to, to go on the new Star Wars rides, which look amazing. But it was like such a huge commitment. <laughs> in addition to the money, it was the time. And people would get up at like five in the morning to wait in line to go on this ride. And they would spend their whole day structuring them around when they were going on to Star Wars. And it's just so interesting that Disney in itself is already exciting. But when you added Star Wars into the mix, it just took it to a whole nother
1: level. Yeah. I also want to qualify something because you mentioned uh, there were categories of fandom And I am not currently a super fan right now, or or what I would call a hardcore fanatic. I was when I was a child though. So when I was a kid, I had the lightsabers. I had the talking Yoda. I had all of the Star Wars figures. I had the scale Millennium Falcon. I had a whole setup of the planet Hoth from the Empire Strikes Back. As a kid, I was hard fucking core. So... I remember, you know, when the prequels came out in the late 90s, early 2000s, I was also there on opening day. So if if we go back now, I was born in 1977, so I wasn't there on opening day in 77. I was there in 1980 for Empire Strikes Back. I was there in 83 for Return of the Jedi for the prequels and then the last trilogy. So with the exception of the very first Star Wars movie in 1977, I was there in the theaters for all of them on opening day. So I was a hardcore fan as a kid. like.
0: I didn't know. That. I mean, you probably told me that before, but oh yeah. Just hearing you verbalize it now, I'm like, okay. Oh yeah.
1: And I wish, I wish I would have kept all those toys because now you see, you know, you see interesting things, and I'm paraphrasing, but you'll see like a first edition, you know, Obi Wan Kenobi action figure that's going for like, you know, a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars. There are these one off interesting pieces of memorabilia that are apparently so rare, and I and I had some of them. And as a kid, you're just like, I don't, you know. I'm twelve years old now, I want to sell at my garage sale and make some money. Like I didn't care. Hindsight being 2020, 20, I wish I would have kept those toys though.
0: It's a lot like your passion for cars and at least the way you talk about it, I think about how I'm not as interested in either of those subject matters, but when you get excited about it, Jason, and I think it's kind of fun to be around someone like you that has all that knowledge <laughs> because I know like anytime we've watched any of the Star Wars movies together, I can just ask Jason any piece of trivia and he'll be able to give me the whole backstory. And I'm like, oh, this... I'm glad that I didn't have to go look this up or try to understand it myself because I don't care that much, but it does help. And I'll never forget the joy on Jason's face when we saw the first episode of the most recent trilogy in the theater. And we actually hadn't planned. Were we dating at the time? I can't remember.
1: No. Well,
0: what year was that?
1: That was 2015. So we were kind of, yeah, we were still kind of dating. Yes.
0: Somewhere in that in that uh, gray area yes, that we were correct. in. <laughs> we just made a spontaneous decision to go see it in the afternoon. And it was just so much fun. We were so glad that we didn't wait because there was a huge plot point that happened that could have easily been spoiled. And so it was really great to experience that. And then I just remember looking over at Jason's face, the moment that it all started and the energy of the room, how excited people were. I mean, it it was amazing. And I would say the second one, we also had a similar experience. The third one was cool. And we actually ran into Roxy, funny enough, who we referenced earlier. We ran into her completely coincidentally when we saw the most recent episode that came out. And... That was fun too, but I would say the first two episodes were a little bit more exciting in the theater. Maybe it was just where we were or something, but it's just cool to be in the room with all these people that are excited about the same thing and and to feel the energy of that makes it another level. So I'm excited, speaking of which, to dig into the subject matter today when I was reflecting on how we could tie (laughs) Star Wars into the subject matters of health and wellness. I sat for a moment. I thought, hmm, I'm just going to type in Star Wars well-being as keywords on a search. And I thought, nah, that doesn't sound that interesting. Maybe I'll do Star Wars health. And then I thought, nah. I decided to put in Star Wars mental health. And Jason, you will be absolutely amazed at how many articles came up talking about the link between Star Wars and mental health. What? So that's what we're going to dive into today, which is all of these people who have written in-depth articles and personal stories about how Star Wars helps them with their mental health. It is fascinating.
1: Okay. You have my attention. Absolutely. Because that is not at all what I thought that you were going to segue this into.
0: What did you think I was going to segue this into?
1: I don't know. The way that Star Wars brings people together or the the community bonding, which I guess in a way is kind of a tangential subject around mental health with community and bonding and togetherness. But I didn't know that you were going to tie in specifically to mental health. and And I'm very, very curious, A, because for the dear listener, if this is your first time joining us, and perhaps you're here because Star Wars was in the title of this podcast episode or you saw it was about Star Wars, Welcome. One of the things that we discuss here on this might get uncomfortable often and interweave into many of our episodes is the myriad methods and nuances of managing our mental and emotional and of course, physical health. But I think the cornerstone, one of the cornerstones of this podcast is mental and emotional health. So I am all ears, Whitney, and would love to pass the baton back to you and see where this goes because I'm fascinated by this link you've just brought up
0: oh, it's not just one link. It's more links than I could possibly read. And so I'm actually going to go through each of them in order of how they came up in the Google search results and share and have a discussion around it. Because I, the very first one I pulled up is the only one that I've really read so far. And it's really great. So we're going to link to every single one of these in the show notes. We'll discuss them. We'll touch upon them briefly. But If this is a subject matter that interests you, the listener, please go check out the links to each of these. And uh, if if you feel compelled, you might want to share some of them. And you can use the hashtag. I think there's probably a number of hashtags for today, but there's National Star Wars Day. There's May the Fourth Be With You. There's May the Force Be With You. So the first article is a personal story on the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And it's a really lovely story about this woman named... Oh, I don't know. Actually, you know, it's funny. I don't know that if this is a woman. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> National Alliance on Mental Illness was shortened to NAMI, N-A-M-I. And I just assumed that that was the person's name. It's not. So, <laughs> so I don't know if this is a man or a woman. It's anonymous. And I actually want to read... A good chunk of this because it's really moving. So this person is a huge Star Wars fan, similar to Jason. The movies mean a lot to this person. And this person suffers from bipolar disorder with some borderline personality disorder thrown in for fun, as they say. This causes them to be easily agitated, have terrible mood swings, angry outbursts, and between those, a persistent depressed mood. It's normal to get irked by things in life. And spoiler alert, we probably will. And I know this article prefaces this: is that there may be some Star Wars spoilers. So if you are somebody who has never watched Star Wars, and I'm sure there are people out there who haven't, or you haven't watched the more recent movies, you may want to wait to listen to this episode if you care. But I'll try to avoid any major spoilers. But the reason I say that is because this person experiences a lot of irritability. And often feels like they can't just brush off things. They can't just let it go. And they segued into comparing that to the character Kylo Ren, who, who comes up in the most recent trilogy is played by Adam Driver, and says that it's similar to that character who, instead of just acknowledging bad news and moving on, he lashes out at his surroundings with his lightsaber in a fit of rage. And the writer says, when things don't go quite the way I planned or I'm angry at myself, I take to punching the walls until my knuckles are bruised and my fists bleed. I saw myself in Kylo Ren's angry, violent outbursts of taking his lightsaber and destroying most likely very expensive space equipment. When I feel that internal rage, I know to keep myself in a safe space where I can't hurt anyone or anything but myself. What makes my spine shiver with relatability was when Kylo Ren was facing his estranged father, and I, I'm not going to read this part actually because I feel like it's such a big spoiler. <laughs> but uh, if you have seen the movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about here. And I'm skipping over a few lines. Kylo Ren in this film, without giving away a spoiler, says, "I'm being torn apart, and I just want the pain to end." The writer says, being torn apart is exactly how I feel, this duality of the desire to live but wanting the pain to end, the split between absolute self-hatred and loving myself for who I am, the belief that the world is a better place without me, and the light of hope knowing that isn't true. And the words, I just want the pain to end, that Kylo Ren said, have been spoken by every single person who has ever thought of suicides. The feelings of, I don't wanna die, but I would do anything to make this pain end. Shame is a huge part of mental illness. Many of us feel like the disease has destroyed us, taken over, turned us into someone we're not. Some of us feel like we're wearing a mask, that our true self is not something anyone wants to see, that we must cover up. For some, that mask is to look happy all the time, like everything is okay. While Kylo Ren's mask certainly isn't to look happy on the outside, it does cover his true self. Behind closed doors, he struggles with the light and the dark, the good in him and the evil, but he cannot show this weakness, so he wears a mask uh, or a helmet in his case. We must pretend like everything is okay on the outside while we struggle inside. He also, the writer also says, depression lies to you, convinces you that people don't actually love you. Even though people might reach out, it forces you to shake off their invitations and close yourself off alone you don't want to be around anyone. I don't think Kylo Ren has many friends in the movie. Depression lies to you even more by saying you'll never get better. Kylo Ren says it's too late for him to change in the pivotal scene with his father. I often feel like I've struggled for so long, tried so many medications and therapies that it's too late for me to change too. There's no hope for me. Sometimes mental illness makes you do things you never wanted to do. With the mental illness, sometimes you feel like what you are doing isn't coming from you. You're not in the driver's seat. So after seeing the movie, I felt completely distraught. How could I identify so closely with the bad guy? And it would be one thing if he was redeemed in the end, but he is most definitely not. It felt like a reverse inspiration. Instead of giving me hope, it took some away. However, I did find hope and inspiration in the fact that I'm not alone in feeling the way that I do. Others, even if it's a fictional character, struggle with the same things I do. It felt so good to see my struggle so eloquently displayed in my new favorite movie. One of the hardest parts of mental illness is feeling completely alone, feeling like you're the only person in the world who feels this way. I hope seeing these struggles on the big screen gives hope to others fighting mental illness too.
1: It's really wonderful. It's so beautifully elucidated in the sense of I think that one of the beautiful pieces about art, whether that's literature or movies, comics, music, the art forms that we consume as as humans in in society paintings i mean whatever whatever the media is the ability to see our lives mirrored back to us from characters people words stories i mean to me the the most profound art that has affected my life has had some sort of mirroring nature to it and to have this person first of all have kind of the the shock of identifying with the villain the most It's interesting because I've often talked about, and I actually talked about this, I think, three or four years ago, one of the second to last times I lectured at the Longevity Now conference and talked about mental illness with my family and my position that it's possible that a lot of my struggles with depression and anxiety and suicidal ideation could be genetically passed down from my father who really struggled and I believe my father was undiagnosed bipolar. There's no way to verify cuz he's not in his body anymore. He passed 10 years ago. But if I look at the patterns of behavior of his life and his addiction and his emotional, out, you know, outbreaks and roller coasters, I think he was probably on the spectrum somewhere. And it's interesting this Star Wars reference because I often as a child thought that the original trilogy or all of this really, the Skywalker saga as they call it of all 9 movies were about Luke Skywalker. But I really think, with the exception of the new trilogy, because he wasn't mentioned that much, which I thought was weird, was Anakin Skywalker, who eventually became Darth Vader, and the the fall from grace into the darkness, and eventually the redemption of Darth Vader. Again, not giving away plot points if no one has seen any of the Star Wars movies, but it was always sort of a a thing that I, as an adult, would transpose on my relationship with my father. That me playing the role of Luke Skywalker as the son who came from what I thought at the core was a good person, who then turned to the darkness. And the darkness in my father's case was drug and alcohol addiction, infidelity, money laundering. My father was actually in jail several times and and ended up being homeless and unfortunately dying on the streets. And I always just had this idea, oh, it's about Luke and the hero's journey. But I really think that the the core of it was the rise and fall and redemption of anakin skywalker and i think in some way subconsciously i had always hoped that my father would redeem himself like darth vader did at the end and my father didn't really want help he didn't want to pull himself out of the darkness he didn't want to pull himself out of addiction he didn't really want to heal his life and as i mentioned you know he he died in a in a hospice after being homeless for about 5 years and so that story of Star Wars holds a deeper meaning for me because there was always this hope that I had that my father would find redemption much like Anakin Skywalker or Darth Vader. And he never really did. So to have a, a personal story like that, Whitney reflected back at me, especially around mental health that my father struggled with and, and that I have struggled with over the last six years, uh, it hits deep. And I think that's that's probably why this story, this saga has resonated to me at the core, not just the fantastical elements of lightsabers and good versus evil and and X-wings and starfighters and all those things, but the deeper character arcs of falling out of grace and falling into darkness and redeeming oneself. I mean, these are very biblical, deep concepts that have been with us for generations, not just the Star Wars movies.
0: Absolutely. In fact, one of the articles that I was going to reference today is seven things Darth Vader can teach us about depression.
1: Whoa, that... If I saw that, I would click on that article. I just click. You got my click. You got my click. Wow.
0: It is a really good title. So I will link to this article as well in the show notes. Everything will be credited there. And and uh, a lot of times when we're reading articles, we're just skimming the surface. So if you want to dig into any of these, we encourage you to.
1: Wait, but are you going to get into it? Because now I feel teased. Oh, I am. Oh, okay. No, okay. No, oh, okay. I I'm was... just
0: saying that You know, it's only fair that we link back to the source and also... We can't just talk about the forest, Jason. We have to talk about the source as well. Pun aside, I also just wanted to encourage people to check out the show notes because there's just so much more if you want to dig in here. Okay. So this article starts off by saying that many men aren't very good about accepting the truth about depression. Many men don't even believe it exists, considering it to be a fiction created by weak-minded fools who in reality just need to get a grip of themselves after all we all have bad days but real men get on with it right hmm i'm really interested to see th- why this author has that perspective because it's so interesting how when you open up your mind to how other people think but i think that point about real men being strong maybe maybe the part of the the reasoning here that this author has is that if you acknowledge that you're depressed, you'll be perceived as weak.
1: Yes. And that's a very, if I may interject briefly before you dive into these amazing seven things we can learn from Darth Vader about depression, that is a very old archetype of masculinity that has been purported for generations and generations. You know, The thing of like, don't cry. What are you crying about? I'll give you something to cry about. Where it's this oppression of young men and young boys that if they are afraid, or if they cry, or show any kind of emotional vulnerability, they're shamed and they are told that that's weak. So I think this author, if I may, you know, transposing it on my experience of my life, I was definitely raised in a family that had a lot of those old school masculine archetypes of don't cry, don't show weakness, don't show fear. Because that means you're vulnerable and that means that you can be hurt. Do not do that. So I get that because that's something that has persisted for generations and generations, which ultimately, I mean, we can talk about the ripple effect that that has on the planet and society of, of men not being in touch with their emotions or their vulnerability or admitting when they're afraid. But I certainly hope, at least with the men that I've talked to and the men's groups that I've been in over the last 10 years, that men collectively are learning to express themselves and emote in a different way.
0: Mm. I think that's part of the reason this story is so important. You know, and Star Wars is classically as far as I'm aware, mostly have has a, a male, a very strong male fan base. That's what I think of, at least. I certainly know women that are really into it. But it seems like more men than women, I would guess. And I think that's important. It's actually making me feel really good that we're discussing this and getting into the deeper side, the mental health side of of it and and the lessons that we can learn from it. Because you never know. Maybe It's just a way to help people open up about things like this. And the author of this article said, as a man who has battled depression, I don't have the luxury of doubting the existence of the dark side. I want more men to acknowledge its existence so that they may recognize its presence should it descend upon them, a friend or even a family member. Should its dark cloak wrap itself around them, I want men to feel able to seek help unencumbered by the fear of judgment and the mortal risk to their perceptions of their masculinity. Ooh, that's very eloquently written. Okay, here are a few lessons that Darth Vader can teach us about depression. Number one, you don't know the power of the dark side. You want to get out of bed, have a shower, eat something, play with the kids. You want to go to work, but you can't. It takes every single ounce of your will to complete even the simplest of tasks. But as Han Solo discovered, just because you haven't seen the dark side doesn't mean it isn't there. He said, kid, I've flown from one side of the galaxy to the other. I've seen a lot of strange stuff, but I've never seen anything to make me believe there's one all-powerful force controlling everything. There's no mystical energy field that controls my destiny.
1: Hmm. That's interesting because... To me, that brings up this fundamental idea of whether or not we are in control or whether or not that there is God, spirit, universe, the all that is that is actually guiding us and dropping breadcrumbs and putting things in our path. I mean, this ultimately, I think, begs a larger question, this Han Solo quote of is there predestiny? Because there are some spiritual lineages that believe that we don't have free will. It's the illusion of free will that the cosmic forces, God, universe, spirit, whatever you want to call it, actually has our destiny already pre-written and we are simply carrying out our destiny under the illusion of free will. But then there's the other school of thought, maybe more of a new age, if you will, school of thought that's kind of like Abraham Hicks and the secret and manifestation, which is that we do have some semblance of control in the sense that We align our energies and our intentions in a manifestation practice and then are co creating with the universe. So it's interesting because it sounds like Han Solo is much more in the sense of like, uh, yeah, I control my destiny and I make up the rules and I am in control. Whereas some people are completely surrendered to the force and this mystical universal energy and just kind of going with the flow. I don't know. It's interesting. I kind of struggle with this belief system because sometimes I feel like I have a tendency to think that I. Boy, especially as we're in this quarantine moment right now recording this, that we have some semblance of control of our destiny and the outcome. But where I'm at right now, Whitney, in all of this is the only thing I think that I have control over, this is my current belief system, is the amount of effort and love and focus I can put into something. And then once it's done and I release it, then I have to turn the outcome, the result over to life. And I find myself saying that more like, I did my best. I know I did my best. And now I turn the outcome over to life. And the results or what comes back to me or however people respond or don't respond, I have zero control over that. And that, that's kind of my current belief system right now. And it actually, I feel more relaxed and chill and less anxious as a result of that. I'm
0: going to skip over to another article for a moment. This was in Psychology Today, and it's called The Psychology of Star Wars Dark Side Edition. And numerous psychological assertions made in the series. None are more significant than its understanding of our darker emotions. In the galaxy far, far away, feelings of anger, fear, and hatred constantly loom in the shadows, ready to consume and pervert our personalities. The dark side is tempting and dangerous. If this is also true in our real world, it's something we should all know. So let's explore what real-life psychological science has to say about three major characteristics of the dark side. This is interesting. And then we'll go back to the lessons. So number one, the dark is more powerful than the light. Every kid knows it. The dark side is more powerful than the light. It's one of the reasons that villains like Darth Vader, Count Dooku, Emperor Palpatine, and Kylo Ren are so intriguing. Even though these characters might not be exactly worthy of our admiration, their descent into darkness was accompanied by an increase in their Jedi powers. And then they go into lots of depth about different studies, researchers interviewing groups of people. Some of these studies have nothing to do with Star Wars, but they were finding that negative emotions tend to stick around longer than positive emotions. Other studies and professors have found that darker emotions and events tend to be stronger than lighter. And again, this is all linked in the show notes if you want to read some of these studies. And one of the examples they gave is negative interactions such as arguments appear to have a more powerful effect in romantic relationships than positive interactions. They did some studies with married couples and propose that negative interactions are five times more powerful. When the number of positive interactions experienced by a couple is at least five times the number of the negative interactions, marriages tend to last. But when the balance shifts significantly from this ratio, relationships are likely to fail. Ooh, that's really fascinating. There's no need to despair, however. None of this means that the bad will always triumph. Good may still prevail over bad by superior forces of numbers. Many good events can overcome the psychological effects of a single bad one. In other words, even though the dark lords of the Sith may be more powerful than the Jedi, this just means the Jedi needs to work harder.
1: So I want to interject because this reminds me of moments in particular. Okay. who Tangential, but related to the dark side, because this is so juicy. My favorite movie in all of the Star Wars universe thus far is the second movie of the original trilogy that came out, which is Empire Strikes Back, which is often referred to as like the Dark Knight of the Soul. It's when probably one of the most famous lines in history, again, if no one's seen it, it's like one of the biggest holy shit moments in movie history in this film, like by far with Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. and again. The dark, the kind of darkness of this movie and how heavy emotionally it was, was when Luke Skywalker meets Master Yoda. And there's two quotes to this day that I will not forget from that movie because even as a kid, I remember it was like, whoa, shivers. And I, fe- I feel like Yoda is kind of like, <laughs> he's kind of the wellness guru. He's kind of the mindset, like the Zen master of the Star Wars universe. And so I remember two Yoda quotes, and I actually want to do them in Yoda's voice. My best impression of Yoda's voice is about part of the core, the foundational elements of the dark side. And he talks a lot about attachment, and he talks about letting go. And one of the quotes is, um, he goes, uh, the shadow of greed, attachment is what you fear to lose, train yourself to release, let go of fear, and... Less and fear cannot harm you.
0: Wait, 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 wait.
1: <laughs> what?
0: That was pretty good. Okay, I
1: got a, I got, the, I got another one. You ready for this?
0: First, I, then I, either before or after, I would like the backstory of how you mastered that voice. Okay. Because I bet you've been practicing that like maybe your entire life.
1: Yes. Okay, so this is the big one. And this is the one that I think can be extrapolated. Of course, letting go of attachment. Very, very Zen Buddhist idea. That attachment and holding on and clinging to things causes us suffering. That's a very basic foundation of Zen Buddhism. The other one, and I think this is, again, can be a blanket statement around the suffering of our planet is, fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. That's the two favorite Yoda quotes. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thanks, guys.
0: I feel like the first one was a little bit stronger with your Yoda voice. Maybe I built it up too much. (laughs) But it's really funny to hear how your voice transformed while you were doing that, Jason. So (laughs) will you tell us, how did you learn to do Yoda? How long did it take?
1: I don't know. I just remember being a kid. And by being a, a latchkey kid, being raised by a single mom, I had a lot of time to myself. So I think one of the reasons that I do so many impressions and characters in general is because I had a lot of time as a kid on my own to just be in the mirror and be like, you know, practicing Yoda, stuff that Yoda would say. You know what I mean? I just, <laughs> you know, I would sit there and just like practice, practice stuff that, that Yoda would say. I would just sit in the bathroom. Just, I don't know, like, you know, attachment leads to jealousy. The shadow of greed that is. Train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. I would just sit for hours, like practicing this stuff. Doesn't that so, kind of
0: hurt your voice? Like it sounds like you're, str- it doesn't?
1: No, not at all. <laughs> not in the slightest. <laughs> I could do this for hours. Maybe the uh, this week you want to uh, interview Yoda here on the podcast. Interview Yoda, you will. <laughs> oh my God. Get nuggets of wisdom, you shall.
0: If somebody didn't tell me that was you, I would honestly have no idea who you were. In yes. Fooled you, I have.
1: <laughs> fooled you easily i have young pad Oh my
0: god okay well moving back to the articles <laughs> in, in this psychology today the second point was that the dark side has advantages and in the star wars world when people access the dark side of the force they unlock specific powers that practitioners of the light side lack Real life research does show that darker emotions activate certain useful abilities within us that our lighter emotions generally don't. In other words, negative emotions, while unpleasant, can also be useful. Researchers have long agreed that there is good reason that we human beings have the c- capability to experience negative emotions because they protect us against harm. We have evolved and Long ago, danger was lurking everywhere, so fear, anxiety, and anger are evolution's way of keeping us safe. Therefore, negative emotions are not harmful. It just matters what we do with them. Anger can cause us to become violent and hurt other people, but it can also motivate us to fight peacefully against injustices. Anxiety and fear can hold us back from taking necessary risks but it can also lead us to take practical steps to protect ourselves and the ones that we love. Sadness can lead us to isolate ourselves and wallow in misery, but it can also lead us to reconsider our lives and ultimately make better choices. As Palpatine so rightly said in Revenge of the Sith, I can feel your anger. It makes you stronger, gives you focus. Negative emotions focus our attention on possible sor- sources of harm helping us to eliminate or avoid them they can't all be bad
1: this is interesting because i think i think this brings up one of the major things that i have had some reactions with the spiritual community in general which is a lot a lot of people who purport themselves to be spiritual practitioners or meditators or yogis or Zen Buddhists, a lot of doesn't matter the label have have. Some people have said like high vibes only. You know, you see that on T shirts on Instagram. High vibes only. No, no, love and light, love and light, love and light, love and light. And it's like, mm, yes. And if used properly, anger and frustration and these emotions can actually be used for good if you channel that energy in a proper way. And, And the the image that I always think of whether or not you believe Jesus was real or a historical figure, he existed or not. There's a, a really interesting story in the Bible because people bring up Jesus a lot, right? For, for good reason. I mean, he's a wonderful archetype for compassion and empathy and generosity and unconditional love. And I always reference when people are like love and light, high vibes only. I'm like, cool. Do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, Jesus was awesome. Well, there's a story in the Bible where Jesus goes into the temple where the money changers are, which were very rudimentary versions of bankers who were unethical and and um treating people badly. And you know, he went in and he overturned the tables in the temple and told the money changers to leave. You know, he vanquished them from the temple. And, you know, the lesson there is like righteous anger. Like Jesus was angry and literally overturned tables and, and forced these money changers, these bankers, out of the temple. So it's like, okay, cool, Jesus was angry, but he focused that anger and that rage into a useful mechanism to get these unethical people out of a holy temple. So I don't believe in high vibes only, and I don't believe in love and light all the time. I believe there are times where it's okay to be angry. And if we channel that anger into action and service and love and try to make substantive change on the planet, I think their righteous anger can be very useful if used as a tool properly.
0: Hmm. Well, that is reminiscent of a quote that Obi Wan Kenobi said in Return of the Jedi, which was, you will find that many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. Our experiences in life contribute to our view in the world, but that does not mean that these beliefs are accurate. According to an article I'm reading on Men's Line, our beliefs can become so strong that we deem them to be truth, but when we closely examine them, They are simply our interpretations of our experiences. What seems to be true for you may not be so for others. Obi-Wan is reminding Luke to keep an open mind, but also explains a core philosophy of positive mental health. Our points of view can shape the way we interpret everything in life and thus create our own reality. Okay, let's go back to the final point from psychology today, which is in the movie they kind of make it seem like the dark side will consume us, and thus it is best to be repressed. In his famous confrontation with Emperor Palpatine in Return of the Jedi, Luke Skywalker goes to great lengths to push away his feelings of fear and anger, while Palpatine repeatedly encourages him to give in to these feelings. The logic of this scene is that if Luke allows himself to feel these negative emotions, He'll be forever turned to the dark side. However, psychology has shown that negative emotions are normal and an unavoidable part of life, at least in measured amounts. It is not in our best interest to avoid them completely, given that they confer certain advantages. But we probably couldn't avoid them even if we wanted to. This is due to a maddening paradoxical effect of what psychologists called experimental avoidance which means the more we try to avoid or suppress a psychological experience, the stronger that experience becomes. If you try to suppress them, they will actually make you more likely to experience them is their point here. And, and this is what the research indicates. It can actually be a risk factor for anxiety disorders and depression when you're trying too hard to avoid your emotions. Counterintuitively, the best way to decrease negative emotions in the long run Maybe to allow yourself to experience them in the short run It's one of the major principles underlining the practice of psychotherapy. Experiencing and talking about our feelings is good for us even when those feelings are unpleasant.
1: I have found that there's a, an interesting outlet for anger and frustration that I have used to avoid those emotions bottling up or congealing inside of me and oftentimes I will do some sort of like primal release if I'm feeling those emotions, where I will go into the bedroom and I will just scream at the top of my lungs into a pillow. Or I will, or I will literally, I will literally just like <laughs> close the doors as so as to not freak out any of the animals. And I'll just, I'll just punch the pillow as hard as I can until I exhaust myself. And I have found that when I have done this and I'm on top of it and, and doing kind of Primal scream therapy into a pillow, or just punching a pillow as hard as I can until I exhaust myself. I feel a sense of relief afterward, and I feel like the anger and the frustration that I I feel in the moment dissipates as a result of that. You know, and and I've told that to people, friends sometimes, people, and they're like, "Well, well, that sounds really violent." I'm like, me alone in my room screaming into a pillow or punching a pillow sounds violent, as opposed to if I bottle this and let it you know build up and congeal into something else where. There's the potential for me to have a really nasty outburst at another person. I would rather do this in private and release and dissipate that energy than have the possibility of, of unleashing it on someone else in a much unhealthier way.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's why it's so important to reflect on things like this and not make assumptions just based on what other people are suggesting for us, you know? Okay, going back to the lessons that we can learn from Darth Vader. Number two on this list, we, we only covered number one so far because I switched over to the other list.
1: What was number one again? Could you recap?
0: That was, you don't know the power of the dark side. You don't know the power of the dark side. Just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean that it's not there. Yes. Number two is that it grip chokes, but is it is invisible. Depression grips tight, choking you. It often strangles your power of speech, both in the sense of your physical ability to speak and in your willingness to release the words that will invite the stigma that can greet them. Despite its power, this grip is invisible. And yet, despite the lack of obvious physical signs, we can see its effects, alerting us to its presence in our lives and the lives of those around us. Only with awareness comes such vision. This actually reminds me of the episode that we did with Robert Cheek, who talked about how his anxiety was so strong, he literally could not speak. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, it's actually one of my favorites and one of our most popular episodes ever. And it's specifically around anxiety. But I think the tr- the same thing can be said for depression, is that it can really affect us a lot physically, mentally, and emotionally. and. It may seem invisible to other people but it certainly isn't invisible to us.
1: Yeah, this is one of those things and I think you referenced this earlier Whitney in a previous article in this episode is that sometimes it feels as if depression and anxiety and suicidal ideation overtakes you. I have that sensation a lot when I get really really deep into depression or anxiety or in the past have had, you know, thoughts and and ideas and plans of killing myself. It's almost as if there's a a third force or a different energy that is just consuming you and it's so hard sometimes to break out of that energy pattern and for lack of a better word reclaim your mental autonomy reclaim reclaim your mental sovereignty because it feels as if for me at least there's a there's a force there's a energy there's a program that's running me And I have such a hard time breaking out of it. Such a hard time.
0: Number three on this list is to take off your mask. And this is something that's come up a few times. This author says, it is only when we feel we are in a world that cares for us, that really sees us and that recognizes we are in the grip of a power beyond ourselves that we can remove the mask we wear to enable us to function. Only when we can admit to the struggles inside, both to ourselves and those That can help us, can the mask be removed, enabling us to face the truths of the illness that it hides? Yeah, I think I think the big role, the the first step or the bigger step is that simply admitting it to yourself, right? And finding the the confidence to do that. And as the article started off, oftentimes have to go seemingly against what other people think and and that fear of are people gonna see me as weak. Are they not going to like me as much? Are they not going to like what they see? I mean, that, I think that's actually one of the biggest challenges that people face. I certainly have struggled with this in my life is like this fear that somebody's going to see parts of us as weak or unattractive. And we try to hide that a lot. I mean, in so many episodes, we've talked about social media. And this actually did come up in that episode with Robert that I referenced, how we often want to put on this mask And present ourselves as more attractive than we think that we are, or smarter, or more successful, or happier. And yet, all of that behavior leads other people to feel inadequate because all they're seeing is the light side of somebody. It's very rare that we share the dark side. And then, simultaneously, there is a lot of criticism of people's dark sides. You know, if you go online and you say something, Perceived as off color, you get shamed for it, and we see this so much, and I, I think it's it's really hard to navigate socially because a lot of us have that dark side in fact, I would imagine everybody does depending on what your definition of it is, and yet we try to hide it because we're afraid of being rejected, and we try to manage it and try to say the right things. We talked about this in the episode with Luke's story where we are working so hard to not offend anybody or not push anyone away. We don't want to be rejected. And a lot of us are just battling with how do we present ourselves to other people so that they will accept us. And I imagine that with mental health challenges and illnesses, it's especially tough that fear of other people seeing what's actually going on inside.
1: This is... Something that I always reference called the the dual basic urges. And uh, I talk about this in in particular, one of our freebies that you can get at wellovator.com when you sign up for our newsletter. One of the freebies is the You Are Enough workbook. But then also when you get into our email sequence, there's a great ebook called Blissful, Balanced, and Badass, Seven Steps to Light Up Your Life with Love. And I reference the dual basic urges where we as humans in this mutated tribal culture of nearly 8 billion people often exerts so much energy and will and time and money and life force trying to gain people's approval and attention and acceptance. And there is a certain amount of approval and attention and acceptance that we need to feel mentally healthy. It's not to say, oh, I, I don't need any approval or attention ever. We need, you know, love and we need support and we need a community. These are forms of attention. But I do believe that there's been an encouraged, monetized, semi-narcissistic approach to gaining too much attention and too much notoriety and too many followers and too much money. And that's been an endemic virus, if you will, a mental virus that's infected our culture for a long time. So it's on the one hand, people want approval and attention and acknowledgement, but then they're primally afraid of disapproval and being ignored and not being relevant. So the dual basic urges are like, on the one hand, you want these things, but you're mortally afraid of not having enough of them. And those things kind of work in tandem for us mentally in our society.
0: Absolutely. Which is a good segue into number four in this article, which is to wear your armor. Just as Darth Vader's suit of armor keeps him alive, so must we find and cloak ourselves in the armor that will protect us and keep us well. Sometimes it will keep us alive. Mindfulness, meditation, antidepressants, exercise, good nutrition, counseling, friendships, spiritual and religious beliefs. Everyone's suit of armor contains different parts. The good news is that there are plenty of parts with, with which we can construct our armor. We just need to find the pieces that fit us best ooh, that's a great line. Because one thing we explore a lot about on this podcast is all the different types of well-being out there. What does it mean to be mindful? What type of meditation do you do? How often do you do it? Do you do it at all? Should you take antidepressants? Antidepress- Did we do an episode on that, Jason? I can't remember if we just talked, touched upon it, but the stigma of antidepressants?
1: No, we haven't covered that in a singular episode. And to your point, Whitney, I think that we ought to have a dedicated episode for that because that was a major consideration when I was diagnosed with clinical depression six years ago, and I want to talk a little bit about my navigation of that and the supplements and things that I take instead of antidepressants. And I really feel like that could be a dedicated episode, and we could we could give people a lot of really good resources in that.
0: Absolutely, and it's tough because there are so many different opinions. I think we touched upon this and. In- the episode with Luke's story, and how the two of us, Jason and I, really love exploring well-being. And we've experimented with a lot of different things. And we've researched it. And we have all these friends and contacts that have a wealth of information. And I read a lot of books. and, And I'm constantly taking in different perspectives. And one thing I've learned after over 10 years of doing this is that there really isn't a right way or even a wrong way. And and to this point in this article, it's about finding how you want to construct your armor, if you want to call that. I think the trick is though, you have to differentiate between wearing a mask and wearing armor. Because I think armor in itself can be a mask. Is are you hiding behind something? Is it necessary? Is it on all the time or do you take it off? You know, it, where is that line between protecting yourself versus hiding yourself away, right? Is it necessary? I think that's a huge theme here is that this dark side, these negative emotions, yes, they can be beneficial. Yes, they can be necessary. But are they shielding you from the important things in life and really being aware? I think the big key here is that mindfulness component is really paying attention to yourself, honing in on, is this benefiting you? Is this benefiting other people? Or is this just protecting you from something that's unavoidable? And sometimes life is just going to constantly throw things at us until we actually do, the, do what's right for us or what's best for us in that moment. And it's a little tricky to uh, figure that all out. But part of our role here with the show is to show you different perspectives, give you different options. And ultimately, you have to decide it for yourself. Everybody's path is going to be a little bit different.
1: The idea of armor is an interesting thing. the idea of having to protect ourselves is it, it's tricky because I feel that the times that I have put on the proverbial armor is when I have been hurt and I start to close my heart, it feels like I am putting an iron covering over my heart and it takes me a while after I've been hurt or had my heart broken or broke my own heart by having perhaps expectations or assumptions about someone or thinking something was going to go a certain way that armoring ourselves too thick. I want to say this, I I'm working this out in real time in my mind. I think that there's a period of cocooning that is natural. When we are in pain, when we're suffering, when our heart feels broken, when we are learning to trust again and put ourselves out there. I think that the visual and the idea of a metamorphosis and evolving and growing into a new version of ourselves that getting our heart pierced and having our hearts, quote, broken can foster an incredible evolution in our character and our being. But I think that if we choose to put walls up and put a coat of armor on rather than cocooning ourselves, we can get to a point where we no longer trust love. We no longer trust connection. We no longer make ourselves available for deep connection. And I'm saying this out of personal experience of there have been times when romantic relationships have ended or, or I've had my trust broken or, again, broke my own heart by acting unreasonably or having false hope or having my expectations shattered. That I found that if I, if I can put myself in triage or a cocoon state where I get to heal and, I don't know, feel free enough. There's that point when we get our hearts broken, we're in pain and we're suffering that I feel. They're, they're, it's, it's almost a palpable feeling of I'm ready to open up again. I'm ready to trust again. I'm ready to put myself out there and meet someone and and be available. There's like a shift in energy where we emerge from the proverbial cocoon. We, We end the metamorphosis phase. And it's like, oh, I'm ready to do this again. But some people don't ever feel ready to do it again. Some people build the wall up and have the Darth Vader suit or the coat of armor, if you will. And they never take it down. And they say, I'm never going to trust anyone again. I'm never going to be vulnerable again. And they literally prevent themselves from ever being open to connection and love and being seen ever again. And I've certainly had those thoughts. I think I've said that to you, Whitney, on on several occasions. I'm like, I'm fucking done. I'm never going to do this again. I'm I'm going to go be a monk. I'm moving to a cabin. Fuck everything. Like, Just fuck all this. But sure enough, I say that. And I'm in the cocoon and I heal. Sometimes it takes me a few years, come out of it, and I'm ready to open again. But the danger, I think, is keeping that suit on, keeping that helmet on, and not allowing ourselves to be seen and loved ever again. And some people make that choice.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's interesting with another point in this article that I feel a little on the fence about, which is number five, you are unwise to lower your defenses. Our armor is, isn't just for when we are ill. Getting well takes us to the light side, but we must retain what we have learned about our illness and ourselves and wear our armor daily if we are to prevent the dark side from rising again. And I have a, some mixed feelings about that. You know, I, I think it comes back to my point and my perspective, which is you really need to take it on a case by case basis. You need to be in touch with yourself to know when you're doing something that's best for you versus just trying to. Not never lower your defenses right i think I think it's just it's really tricky. What do you think about that?
1: I would like to replace the word defenses with awareness. never lower your awareness and and here's what I mean by this if you feel yourself starting to feel rage towards someone and you're about to lash out or you're about to have a reactionary moment rather than responding because to me, the difference between if we're contextualizing this in in the dark side versus light side, I think if we have a situation that triggers us emotionally triggers us on a wounding level of our trauma maybe something within us we haven't healed yet and we feel ourselves getting angry rageful wanting to lash out at ourselves or the person in front of us i think we always have a choice between reacting to that situation and responding and i often feel that that reactionary behavior has an emotional weight to it like we want to hurt ourselves we want to wound someone else we want to disperse this negativity and this suffering, right? There's an emotion, there's a charge to it, right? Whereas responding to a situation, there's really no charge to it. There's not like an embodied charge of energy. It's just, okay, this is what we want to do. This is the action we're going to take. There's no charge around it. So I think in, in terms of never lower your defenses or always keep your defenses up, I would say always keep your awareness up. Always be aware of watching yourself in a situation, especially when you get emotionally triggered, of okay, take a breath. Do I want to react or respond to this situation? How do I want to show up here? And to me, never lowering your awareness makes a lot more sense.
0: I like that a lot. Number six of these seven lessons is there is still good in you. Luke Skywalker never gave up on dad. Despite all the evidence to the contrary, blowing up planets, and I'm actually not going to read all these just in case you...
1: (laughs) Small things like destroying entire worlds, minor things. I still believe in you, Dad, even though you killed all those billions of people and blew up that planet. You're still a good guy. Really, you are. Let's have a beer. Let's have a beer.
0: Well, aside from that little spoiler, I'm not going to read the rest of the examples there. But despite all of these things that Luke Skywalker did, he never stopped believing there was good in him. One of the greatest gifts you can give to a friend or family member struggling with depression is being there for them and believing them, believing in them, especially when they don't believe in themselves. With that simple act, you may even save their lives. And I think that's absolutely true. I mean, to be fully I was going to say transparent and real, which is actually what we always aim to be here. but but to go really deep and crack open here i i it's been challenging at times with jason's depression and there've been many moments where he was struggling a lot and was kind of clutching to life in a lot of ways and trying to stay alive i think jason i you know and as as your friend it is one thing I always aim to do is is to continue to tell you that I believe in you and to encourage you. I, I know I can't control your decisions. You ultimately make them for yourself and and sometimes you can't control how you're feeling. But I I hope that having me and having your mom and having your mentor, Michael, all of those people play big roles. I don't know if I've ever told you this or admitted this, but there have been countless times, well, maybe not countless. There have been several times that I have been really worried about you. And I've actually reached out to your mom and reached out to Michael and reached out to other mutual friends and, and encouraged them to reach out to you because sometimes I feel like I'm one of the few people, if not the only one, that you admit your low periods to. And I, I know there are times that you probably don't even tell me. And one of my ways to help you is, is to not just reach out myself, but to gather your other friends and family members to show their love and show their support and remind you that we're here for you, even when you don't feel like we are, or even when you feel hopeless, I guess the aim is to just show you that there is hope.
1: It really, it, it means a lot to hear you say that Whitney. And, you know, I think that for me, it's something that, I, f- I feel, first of all, grateful to have your support as a friend and, and someone who I consider family. You know, you not just singularly giving me support and, and space to have my process, but also reaching out to the other people that I'm really close to. Because, you know, once I started admitting that I was really struggling with depression and anxiety and, and suicidal thoughts and ideation, and the, just the, de- you know, the depth of my struggle with it years ago was such a healthy, critical step because I was, I was feeling so much shame around it. In so many ways, of the societal script of well, because w- when it was when it was first happening was when I had the TV series on Cooking Channel and the cookbook deal was happening. We, we've talked about this in, in some previous episodes. We've touched on it, but you know, it was this shame around. Well, you're successful and you have all these great things. How you know the script in my head was you can't admit this to anyone because no one's going to have empathy for you. No one's going to understand. And I kept it hidden for a long, long time. And I think that, to be honest, there's still a part of me that is afraid. And it's not, it's not, it's an illusory fear. It's not a real concern based in reality, but that I'm afraid of burdening you or burdening my mom or burdening my other friends or burdening Michael, you know, the people, the closest, closest circle in my life of people. You guys are all very much aware of what I have struggled with. But to your point with, there are, there are times and they're not as often because I don't feel like I get as low as often as I used to, which I'm immensely, immensely grateful for but the moments that i do it's like ah should i tell anyone should i just handle this on my own and whenever i do bring it up of course you know you or michael or mama like just tell the, you know all you guys are just like just if you if you're struggling just call you know just call so i still feel like I, I i need to do work around that where there's still maybe a little bit of shame there for me of like ah don't burden them they've heard it all before they're going to be they're going to be like why is he still struggling but i know that's all bullshit and i know of that's real cuz you guys do love me and and as I said, I don't, I don't feel like I get as low as I used to a few years ago or recently. I feel like the supplements and the mindfulness and talking about it and having my therapist, Gary, and, and all of these kind of tools in my tool belt that I have now, and especially through COVID-19 and this quarantine and everything that's been going on, there's been moments of anxiety and stress and, and disillusionment, of course. And, and you've been so masterful, Whitney, in sending me some really interesting articles and social posts. Talking about our collective stress and disillusionment right now, but overall, I feel like I've been handling it pretty damn well. But I just, I just want to thank you, I guess, for always, you know. That that's the other thing too is how can I communicate this in a way that someone can have compassion for, even though they may not experience thoughts of suicide or depression. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I've, I've maybe had a block around too. Is will they even understand me?
0: Hmm. So much to reflect on here, and. um the final point from this article is that Darth Vader was wrong. And this, this author said, Luke was right about him, wasn't he? He was right. If you're struggling with depression, remember that. Despite being cloaked in black for so many years, despite the dark side having appeared to have consumed him completely, the light was always there. Somewhere deep inside, it never left him. When consumed by the darkness of depression, we lose ourselves completely in its shadow. No matter how dark it gets, never forget the light is still there. You are still there. And I think this is actually true with Kylo Ren as well. I mean, you see his story and that's a big theme in these movies. And then also the um, uh, episodes of one, two, and three, just watching Darth Vader's evolution, right? And seeing him as a little child. I think that's so important. And this is especially true with any types of sides of people where, you know, especially with adults, we see them, we think, oh, they're such a bad person. But one thing that's beautiful about Star Wars is seeing them as children. You you realize they were innocent children once too, and and things in their lives shaped them. In fact, one thing I came across that was really interesting is uh, some researchers at a university, Susan Hatters Friedman and Ryan C.W. Hall were a pair of psychiatrist professors who did a study on the characters in Star Wars. And there are numerous articles about this study, which I will link to as well. And they uh, published a few different articles on this. And here's a little summary. Actually, this is a really good one on CTV sci-fi channel that I'm going to link to in the show notes at WellEvator.com. They have uh, gifts on there <laughs> that, that are uh, pretty cool. It goes through each individual character or all the major characters. There's a ton of characters in Star Wars. So not all of them, but the major characters and talks about their diagnosis. And so the first one is Darth Vader. And they attribute Vader's destructive behavior to a chain of events that started with his time spent working as a child slave. As an adult, he became disassociative and developed many coping mechanisms, including splitting and projecting the process of attributing one's negative feelings to others. With the right treatment, he could have saved the empire of fortune on unnecessary wars, and they diagnosed him with post-traumatic stress disorder and borderline personality disorder maybe it sounds funny to diagnose these fictional characters, but I think it's really important. And one of my big tenets is to try not to judge or make assumptions on people because it's like that popular meme that's gone around is about how people are often fighting a battle that we're just not aware of and having compassion for each person, no matter what they're doing. You know, it's so easy to judge somebody's behavior. But we can find compassion for even the worst people currently living or in history if we really think about the fact that there is a whole chain of events and that one time in their lives, they were an innocent child.
1: This is an interesting thing because I think this goes back to nature versus nurture and the discussion of are people inherently bad because of their genetic predisposition? We've talked a lot about epigenetics in our previous episodes in relation to gene expression, mental health, emotional wellness, our metabolism, and the ongoing research of how lifestyle and choices and diet and habits affect the expression of our genes. And that's the, the study of epigenetics is how those choices and actions in our daily lives influence gene expression. But the nature versus nurture argument is so interesting, Whitney, because I I have sat alone thinking about this very subject so long of certain figures, historical figures and archetypes that have permeated the span of time. You know, Most recently, th- these are two seminal examples. You, know, you think about Adolf Hitler and, and Mahatma Gandhi, Mohandas Gandhi, and how a lot of people regard Adolf Hitler as one of the most you know, evil, heinous humans that have ever walked the earth. But the question becomes, you know, did this human being from birth was he an evil child? Was he genetically predisposed to evil, or if you look at his his childhood development and his time as a young man in the army and World War I and the things that shaped him as a youth that I believe were very formative in his belief systems and his notions of superiority and and the eventual genocide and the things that happened with Adolf Hitler, consequently, if you look at you know Gandhi's history as a lawyer and and there are some things about him you know being physically abusive to his wife and 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 things that we would deem as perhaps not so compassionate and not so humanistic and and obviously you know beating a significant other is is not necessarily a positive thing that we would look look to say, "Wow, Gandhi was great, you know he was a wife beater." But I think this shows to your point, Whitney, that, that we have a tendency, I think, to keep ourselves safe to brandish sweeping generalizations and judgments on everyone that this person is a holy, evil, heinous, horrible person that deserves to die. You can get into the death penalty if we want to, but that's a whole maybe another conversation versus, oh, this person is a saint and they saved an entire nation. But let's just ignore that part about them beating their wives. Yeah, I I think it just goes to show that we as humans the way that we develop psychologically somatically energetically how belief systems are crystallized in the neuro, neurological structure of our brain we are such complex people that no one i believe if i may make a sweeping generalization is 100% you know good empathetic compassionate peaceful and i'd also don't believe that anyone is 100% evil and malevolent and hurtful and bad i believe we have gradations and variances of those in our personalities, but I don't think I could say any human would be completely saintly or completely malevolent. I I think there are just there there are gradations and gray areas within all of us.
0: And that's really the power of storytelling as well, is if you actually think to yourself, this isn't just a fictional story. This was based off of other people's experiences. And we know that Star Wars is based on Joseph Campbell's story structure. And we can see these things playing out in our own lives. And that's part of the magic of a really well-told story as it teaches us lessons. And this uh, study that these professors did goes on to analyze a lot of the different characters. So just to share some quick, interesting points, like Princess Leia lost her mother in childbirth. And so she was plagued by feelings of abandonment, which Jason, you've talked about some of your struggles with. And one of the ways she dealt with this was by seeking attention to an excessive degree. And they diagnosed her with something called histrionic personality disorder, which actually I don't feel very familiar with, even though I've studied psychology a lot. So that's really interesting. And then (laughs) C-3PO.
1: Oh, we're we're going to diagnose a robot now, huh? Oh, yeah. Okay. Which
0: Which is kind of funny. But he said... Human beings share similar traits. And this, the professors explain that he annoys other characters with his rigidity. And he's so preoccupied with rules and protocols that dysfunction often ensues. And they may be characteristics of somebody with obsessive compulsive personality disorder. And again, it's, you could laugh like, oh, you're diagnosing a robot. But those qualities are human qualities the writers put into a, a robot. Han Solo is going through a period of extreme irresponsibility in much of the series. He drops out of school. He abandons smuggled goods. He's recklessly killing people, and he's plagued by debt. And so the the professors say that as he eventually grows out of this these traits, his diagnosis at the onset is clear that it's an antisocial personality disorder. Jar Jar Binks, one of the uh, most controversial characters. They encourage you to be compassionate about him because his behavior is the source of irritation. It can be attributed to an untreated and previously undiagnosed condition, which may be attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, otherwise known as ADHD. I mean, it's fascinating, right? If you look at all of these different characters here, it's uh, even Jabba the Hut. <laughs>
1: Oh, please tell me about Jabba the Hog.
0: How he's uh, completely lacking in empathy and remorse. His cruelty and disregard for life suggest an especially worrisome condition, which is a psychopath.
1: <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Luke Skywalker.
0: <laughs> that, yeah, you would love the gifts in this one that they use, Jason. Uh, Luke Skywalker displays a long list of symptoms that suggest. Pro-Dromo schizophrenia, which include conflict with family, failure to meet obligations, strange new religious views, reckless behavior, animal cruelty directed at womp rats, (laughs) hallucinations, and grandiose beliefs. However, this diagnosis is undermined by the fact that Luke's apparent delusions are real, as is the force in his ability to save the galaxy. And thus, they were unable to properly diagnose him. They also, the articles go on to diagnose Boba Fett, Yoda, Chewbacca, Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's, It's actually pretty, pretty interesting. So if you want to check it out, these will all be linked in the show notes. I wanted to end this episode with a really sweet article I came across, which was called Raising a Mindful Jedi, Five Mental Health Lessons. And it's about how to help your kids be more mindful. And uh, I thought it's very sweet. Also, a very well-formatted article. It's on a website called GoZen.com. And these lessons, these points here could also be attributed to any age, I believe. Number one was about mindfulness and meditation, which we touched upon. They go into detail about how anxiety can be confusing for kids and hard for parents to help them overcome. And so anxiety does not take place in the present. And that's why it's really important to be mindful. One of the Jedi tools for overcoming anxiety and achieving mindfulness is meditation. And you actually see this pop up a lot. It's actually one of my favorite parts and a big spoiler in the... uh, What is it called? The Is it the Return of the Jedi, Jason? Well, it's technically what? The eighth episode? Uh, is that one called The Return of the Jedi? No, that's oh, Wait, not I'm sorry, not Return of the Jedi,
1: but The Last Jedi.
0: Yeah, thank you. The Last Jedi. The end of that movie, that was that was one of my favorite parts of of that trilogy is uh that you know, I'm not going to say what that moment is, but you know what I'm talking about, right, Jason?
1: Yes, I do.
0: It's like a meditative moment and I, I remember it like might have even brought me to tears. It was so powerful. And and a lot of people didn't actually like that movie, but I thought that scene really really made it all worthwhile. And uh, if you haven't seen it yet, as a listener, it's it's a good moment for meditation, but apparently it comes up a lot. It comes up in The Force Awakens, The Clone Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, where uh, apparently it's revealed that Darth Vader meditates because he sits in a big black pod and it's called the Meditation Chamber.
1: This is correct. Yeah. They didn't really cover this in the (laughs) movies, per se. There was a brief, brief scene in Star Wars Rogue One, but in the canon, which is the colloquial term for outside of the movies, the canon saga, the Clone Wars, the books, and things like that. Darth Vader does have a dedicated meditation chamber. So, yes, Dark Side Sith. Do meditate also.
0: I mean, this is fascinating. The more you dig into all of this, it's actually just so interesting. Some of these things might be a stretch, but you know, if it makes you feel good, if it encourages you to be more mindful and meditate, then why not? The second point in this article is about feeling the force, which has been a big theme of this episode. And our experience is not just tied to other humans, but all living things. Trees give us air to breathe. Plants and animals give us sustenance, or in our case, plants do. And if if only as a byproduct of our life cycle, we can help other things by nurturing them because we all share a living energy, aka the source or the force. (laughs) And we're bound together by this living network, a symbiotic circle. Humanity is one of the key components of self-compassion. So if we can understand that people as a whole are not perfect, as we've talked about throughout this episode, it might help relieve some of the self-inflicted behavior. Furthermore, when people feel alone with their stress, when they internalize it and don't see it as part of the collective human experience, they're less likely to seek support and more likely to become depressed and engage in avoidance tactics. So if you're feeling emotional, if your children or, or other people in your lives are feeling emotional, showing them that you understand their pain and explain that you felt the same way can really help us. And that's part of using the force. Tip number three in this article is sensing disturbances in the force. A Jedi can sense emotion in others. They know when their friends are hurting. Point to your kids or point out to other people in your life that recognizing feelings and emotions in other people makes you more responsive and better able to help. And what is understanding if you are not empathetic? There are a lot of reasons to value empathy. It helps you be more grateful, more compassionate, more polite, a better listener, more generous. And it's really important for us to teach this because we can often live in our ego. Our our society often thrives off off of that. So it's actually a really crucial thing to remind ourselves and other people of. You can make other people's perspectives and emotions a regular topic, just checking in with one another, asking how you can help. Did you notice anybody that's struggling, as we talked about earlier, when somebody might seem depressed or low or anxious? And just knowing that somebody is there for them can make a really big difference in their lives. Number four is about Jedi mind tricks. The notion that the force only influences the weak-minded is an unfortunate characterization of a Jedi's persuasive power. Nonetheless, a Jedi can use his or her force abilities to have quite an influence to make people believe things or say things that they otherwise wouldn't. Jedi do do it by understanding the mind of others, seeing other people's thoughts, and asserting their quiet, subtle powers. And they reference this book called Quiet, which I've read a little bit of. It's actually a really good book by Susan Cain, who explores the myth that leaders need to be loud and charismatic in order to be effective. In contrast, she and the research she cites suggests that the most effective leaders are often the quietest, aka introverted. They spend most of their time listening and thinking, gathering information about those they are leading and making thoughtful, respectful decisions based on their findings, which is very influential. And studies have found that people are much more likely to follow a leader when they think that their voice was being heard. Introverts are more likely to do that. So if you're introverted or if you know an introvert, you can help them tap into their leadership abilities and other hidden powers. And lastly in this article it talks about facing the dark side which we've talked a lot about today in this episode. And it's important to talk to other people about how their dark emotions are affecting them, pointing them out, raising that awareness of we, as we've talked a lot about reflection is really important and how making positive emotions and compassion more dominant can help us be stronger, healthier, more balanced and more mindful in general.
1: One thing that I also want to talk about and I don't know that a lot of people actually know that Michael Jackson was a huge Star Wars fan and in fact, one of his most popular songs from the late 70s, the Off the Wall album, his first solo album after leaving the Jackson 5, Don't Stop Till You Get Enough, he talks about the force in that song. Did you know that, Whitney?
0: I did not know that, but it sounds vaguely familiar. Maybe you've told me this. I almost feel like you brought it up on an episode before, but but go on, refresh my memory.
1: Yeah. So Michael, he sings he sings pretty much the whole song in a very very high falsetto. And so people like there's the little thing at the very beginning of the song when the bass line is coming in. It's like do 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 do. He's like, yeah, the, the force has got a lot of power. And I was just I was just hoping like you you would use the force. And he goes, oh. And so the chorus of that song, Don't Stop Till You Get Enough, goes, Keep on with the force, don't stop. Don't stop till you get enough. Keep on with the force, don't stop. So it says, keep on with the force, don't stop. Don't stop till you get enough. He was a massive Star Wars fan. So this whole song is that the force is love power. He goes, Lovely is the feeling now. Won't be complaining. The force is love power. So it's this whole thing about love and the force being one. So there you go. A little Michael Jackson trivia for everyone. You'll never hear that song the same again.
0: I think that's a really sweet note to end on. Although Michael Jackson is also somebody that a lot of people have different opinions on. And I'm glad that we talked about Hitler earlier. because uh, Some people can be very polarizing. Darth Vader too. And, um, you know, it's everybody's uh opinions and perspectives are valid and we have to remember that each of these people are complicated individuals just like we are and sometimes we make decisions that are not based in humanity's best interest and sometimes our decisions are misinterpreted or in the case of Michael Jackson there's there's a lot of um things that are unknown and people can make a lot of uh assumptions or jump to conclusions based on the information that they have and um i think yeah, if, if you feel triggered by any us speaking about any of those people, just remember our our aim here is is to see as much of the good in people as we possibly can and also respect people's opinions uh that may be more focused on the negative sides of them, you know, and I think Star Wars is the ultimate representation of that. You know, I'm sure you could survey people and some are extremely triggered and and just see Darth Vader as a hor- horrible person and yet if you look at him as a whole, maybe you would think otherwise. And uh, we're, with fictional people, we, we can maybe uh, tell, like, learn a lot about them, right? With Star Wars gives us so much history on Darth Vader. And a lot of the blanks are filled in. And unfortunately, with the non-fictional people, there's a lot of blanks that we never get to fill in about them. And it's up to us to construct whatever story we feel most comfortable telling about them with the information that we have. Well, this has been uh, a, such a fascinating uh, exploration of, of Star Wars and its impact on the planet, its uh, observations about human psychology and what it can teach us, what we can learn from it. it gives us an opportunity to talk about mental health in a different way. And I'm, I'm glad that we dove in deep. As I've said a few times throughout this episode, we have a lot more about this episode, all the references that we've made, previous episodes, upcoming episodes, all of those are linked in the show notes at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. You can go to the show notes section, the podcast section of our website. There's also lots to explore there. Jason talked about some of the free resources we have, like our eBooks, You Are Not Enough, or <laughs> You Are Not <laughs> The book is You Are Enough. And it's designed to talk about how if you're struggling with not feeling enough, this book can help. That'd be kind of funny if it was called You Are Not Enough. Hey, just want to remind you that all your deepest fears are actually true. <laughs> you are not enough.
1: I am here. Again, Michael Jackson. Shout out to Michael. So... <laughs> As we are wrapping up this episode, which has been such a delightful exploration and spelunking of one of my deepest loves, the Star Wars saga and mental and emotional health, I wanted to end on a Marcus Aurelius quote, who was an incredible emperor. There's a great book called Meditations by Marcus Aurelius that we will link to in the show notes at Wellevator. But in this term, this thinking uh, pattern of neutrality, and no one is inherently fully good or fully bad. Marcus Aurelius has this great quote that says, Take care that you don't treat inhumanity as it treats human beings. Death and life, honor and dishonor, pain and pleasure, all of these things equally happen to good people and bad, being things which make all of us neither better nor worse. Therefore, they, as in people, are neither good nor evil. So I think there's this element of neutrality that we can think about that even when people do quote bad things or do good things, this is not the full picture of who they, who they really are. And do we ever get to see all the sides of a human being? Perhaps we do, perhaps we don't. But to have compassion and empathy and understanding and knowing, as Whitney said earlier, that there are silent battles that everyone is fighting on this planet, I think it gives us a larger scope on things that we never really know fully what's going on inside of another person. So with that, my dear friend, dear listener, thank you for joining us once again. Whitney, thank you for this incredible topic. I had such a great time with you today with this, as we always do. And for all of the show notes, book recommendations, all of the great articles that we referenced today about psychology, mental health, and Star Wars, please visit the show notes at wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And we will see you soon with another fascinating, tangential, deep, and soulful episode of This Might Get Uncomfortable. See you soon.